Welcome to the Freedom Nation podcast with Jeff Kickle. On this show, Jeff shares his expertise in financial and retirement planning from a different perspective. Planning for your Freedom Day, which is the first day that you wake up and have enough income or assets and do not have to go to work that day. Learn how to calculate what you need, how to generate income sources, and listen to interviews from others who've done it themselves. Get ready to experience your own Freedom Day. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Freedom Nation podcast and another episode of one of our interviews of a, uh, an entrepreneur who's gone out there and uh, taken the risk, left uh, the corporate world and, uh, and went into something themselves. So today I have Chris Michael Harris on and Chris is uh, going to tell us a little bit about his story and how he got to where he's at. Chris, welcome to the story or welcome to the show today, sir. Hey, Jeff, man, excited to be here and didn't realize beforehand we live like 10 minutes apart. I could have yeah, walked literally. <laughs> First time in uh, first time in probably eight months, I've interviewed somebody that was literally around the corner from my house. Yeah, so we could we'll, we'll have to do this again in person. House. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, man. Uh, so I think I have to go all the way back. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people wonder if they have you know, do I have entrepreneurial tendencies? You yeah. know, maybe they've kind of. I, I think some people, and I've seen this often. They, they kind of, they don't like their job and that's their genesis point of starting a business. Sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. I always say, large in part, I think there are signs that you have entrepreneurial tendencies. Yep. Uh, I was very much that way. So if you're out there and you're wondering like, hmm, is this me or does I hate my job? Do I need to get another you know, occupation or another you know, environment or what have you? This might be a good indicator for you. Mm -hmm. um, always doing things outside the nine to five. Like when I was 11, 12 years old, mowing lawns, detailing cars, you know, odd jobs, stuff like that, because it just saw outside of the, the typical nine to five hour for pay model, right? Next. That continued throughout middle school, high school. Actually, by the time I got to high school, a buddy of mine, uh, we launched a uh, uh, like lawn care type business, you know, shrubbery and, you know, yeah. just pressure washing driveways. We made like 12 grand between junior and senior year of high school. Like we were hiring friends. Yeah. It was just nuts. Yeah. And, you're, um, so, yeah you're, and you guys are like the richest guy in school. Oh, that. my gosh. We were. Oh, yeah. Man. Oh, yeah. We were like the Bill Gates of. Yeah, it was nuts. And and I blew it all on my car that I was modding out because that was like Fast and Furious days. So I like put yeah. the, you know, the body kit and all that on it. So I didn't see much of that money, unfortunately, after it was all said and done. Um, but anyway, so I get to college and it's kind of more of the same trajectory, you know, kind of figure out what I want to do in life. Nothing was really registering. Nothing was really like this is what I want to do. I want to sink my teeth into this. And not knowing at that point, and thankfully for people today that want to start a business, it's far more viable, right? Like you don't have to go raise a ton of capital and you can get started literally today marketing yourself online. And that wasn't necessarily the case. This was, you know, early days of social media when we were first getting going. So that wasn't really as prominent as it is today. Um, so kudos to those that are starting now because you've got a huge leg up. So see that yeah. as an advantage. Um, so anyways, so I get, I'm nearing the end of college. Again, still don't know what I want to do. Brother and I happened to see these two girls that were moving this, this big fold-out sofa down the hallway, right? And those things are heavy, right? They're steel under frame, and they're, they're no joke. The building we lived in, downtown Athens, Georgia, um, big, long hallways. Was, I always joke and say it was designed by a kindergartner with a crayon, the building, because it was just laid out really wonky. Anyways, we help out. Mom tips with 50 bucks a pop. I, light bulbs went off in my head. Let's go to the lease office manager. So I created a basic flyer. Here's what we're doing. Can you let people know if they're asking about moving? Well, since that building sucks so much, guess who is asking a lot about moves and mm -hmm. movers more specifically? So she says, hey, these guys live here. They know the building, da, 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 da. 
we moved like 30% of the building over the next 45 days and made like eight, nine, $10,000, somewhere around there. <laughs> and we had my brother's friend had a grandfather that had a moving truck that said, you can borrow it. It just was all serendipity. It just fell together. So anyway, so then I graduate, go on to the quote unquote real world. And I had a job for about a year. Brother still doing the moving side hustle, college kids during the summer, pay for a school year, so on and so forth. They did like 24 grand the next summer, expanded outside of that one building, were pitching to their classmates, going to the bars, talking to people, stuff like that. I was helping with some of the marketing and funding and stuff like that. So they, they did pretty well for two college kids making 24 grand. I mean, that's not bad, right? Yeah. So I'm hating the nine to five, just realizing like, this is not for me, you know, <laughs> just ugh, hated it. So I quit. I don't recommend doing this. Had no money saved, just quit and went back to just run this side, this college side hustle. But then it was tough. I'll get, I can get to that part. It was a, it was, we grew quickly, but there was a tough few months there getting over the hump. But from that point forward, we went to a $1.2 million company onto a $7 million company in about three years. Wow. By the time I was 26, 27, we were a $7 million company. Um, so just rampant, rampant growth. Throughout that process, I was learning just people think that sounds fun. And, and it was, but you learning on the fly like that, it's a tough way to learn. You're learning through mistakes. And that's a really tough way to learn entrepreneurship. Most of what I was discovering, I did not learn in college. I went to the University of Georgia. It's a well-esteemed school. Did not know what I was doing, was learning on the fly. That's costly, especially when you're in the seven-figure mark. You're making $50,000 mistakes. That's painful, right? Yeah. And that's real. Uh, 50000 was probably, I probably made bigger mistakes than that. And just, you know, not a direct, direct dollar association, but big mistakes, right? So I had the idea of, I want to get into the educational space. I want to teach people entrepreneurship because I can start one business and I can go onesie twosie starting businesses, or I can start teaching a community of people to build businesses and have a massive ripple effect from the people that I'm teaching, right? As well as my own things that I'm building. So that's kind of what we've been doing now is um, coaching people. It's really, really dialed in on marketing at, at this point. A lot of people are really struggling with marketing specifically offline business owners kind of adopting the new digital space, the digital world that exists, not using some of the, you know, modern tools as far as getting their brands out there, uh, doing a lot of that. And then we're launching some software, which is cool as well. But yeah, really have gone more digital versus offline. Love the offline space, but it was a huge pain. Uh, and, and eventually that company was doing business in 32 states with five of the seven furniture manufacturers in the country. I mean, it was just a, a wild, wild ride. Hmm. That's fantastic. So with that, you know, I mean, that there's a ton of people out there that are teaching marketing and business skills and things like that. What, you know, what differentiates y'all's business or your business from others that are out in that space? Yeah, it's funny you say that because we, we talk about this a lot with our students. It's timeless principles. I mean, you can go back and read. I'm reading David Ogilvie's stuff, going back and just refreshing my memory. You know, I mean, it's timeless. The stuff he's talking about in 1960 is the stuff that works today. We, we joke around about this. A lot of those old school direct response marketer guys, it's kind of a dying, I don't want to call it an art form. They would, if they were around today, they would slap me for saying art form because it's not. And that's the beauty in it. It's science. It's nice. formulaic, yep. right? Now, the problem is we've gone from direct response back then to no response marketing today. Hmm. Meaning you're dancing around on TikTok or you're playing around on Instagram and there's no ask. There's no call to action. There's no broader marketing strategy involved with that. It's just what I want to create today. And there's, you know, brand marketing, there's definitely some power to that. In fact, I would say a lot of the direct response marketer guys that still exist today, because there are, you know, there are, there are a lot of those guys still out there today that have carried on the torch to keep teaching direct response. They don't do the brand marketing stuff. Yeah. And now guess what? They're getting their butts handed to them because the algorithms have changed after iOS 14.5. A lot of the direct response stuff, you can't follow people on the internet like you used to be able to do. Mm -hmm. Facebook ads are no longer as, as cost effective as they used to be. 
So, and they're realizing I didn't nurture and build an audience or a tribe of people that I can resonate with. So I would literally put all my eggs in one basket. And now they're kind of like, oh no, I need to start a podcast. I need to get on YouTube. I need these things. So, so what we're trying to do is bring old school direct response into the new age brand marketing and have people building a solid foundation on direct response, lay on top of the creative aspect of what brand marketing brings to the table. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's funny because I, I read Ogilvy when I was in college. Yeah. And it was, you know, I, I kind of got out, got it more into the finance side. And then as I started businesses, I had to go back and basically learn marketing because I had a marketing yeah. team that was just terrible. Uh, and I finally just said, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to learn it myself. Then I know how to hire people to do this. Yeah. And it's so funny because you go back and you read Ogilvy and you're like, God, those guys are geniuses. Geniuses. I mean, it's, you know, but the thing is, and Ogilvy learned from some of the guys back, you know, in the late 1800s, early yeah, 1900s, yeah. that's where he learned from. And, you know, we are learning from him, but it's still the same people are people and people yeah, are yeah. the been the same people for many, many years. And what, what drives us drives everybody. So you I, know, I always said, I, I didn't understand, <laughs> I didn't understand marketing until I applied marketing psychology. It's yeah. like you said, it's humans, it's psychology. Yeah. It's all the same. The iterate, the modalities might change. Yep. Yeah but the principles are still the same. And if you're not nailing those principles today, and that's about it. (laughs) Yeah. If you're not nailing those principles, I don't care if your video goes viral. I don't, I don't care if your stuff is trending because it ain't going to do anything. We have students that have gotten 40 million views on some of their, that have posted, have gone viral, Mm -hmm. didn't get a single email subscriber from it. And I'm not saying I'd be critical. And I know that some of students, they listen to the stuff that I say online and this will probably be, you know, repurposed in a clip. So they're going to hear this. Yep. I'm not saying to be critical, but if you don't have the foundation in place and you don't understand the psychological elements of how to take somebody from uh, awareness of you into, mm-hmm. I want to be in your email list and potentially buy your stuff. Yeah. What'd you really do it for? This isn't a popularity contest. I'm all about money. Let's, you know, and obviously there's things that, that sounds bad. I mean, I'm about the money because the, what the money helps me do, the money's a vehicle, Correct. right? I don't want to be a brokey broke, but have the biggest Instagram following in the world. That doesn't mean anything to me, mm-hmm. right? So I think a lot of people have been really disillusioned. I think now the name of the game is there's too much information out there. Mm-hmm. There's so we're, we're chasing. So we're so overwhelmed. And I think a lot of it has to do with the human interface. We're not designed to take in so many inputs. We're just not. And now you've got all these different signals and messages and directions coming from all these different places. And it's like, yeah, but we've lost sight of the core essence of business. It's put out a message to a core audience that resonates with what you have to say that solves a viable problem with a viable solution in their life, a rampant problem with a viable solution rather, and then provide said solution, but market it to them in the words that they use to describe their problem. Mm-hmm. Dunzo, like literally it sells itself at that point, but we're out here just trying stuff and it's just, it's crazy. So to answer your question, uh, we're, we're really focused on the, the old school stuff layer on top of, okay, but how do you use these new things? Because they are great in terms of scalability to then, okay, now we're funneling in hundreds of thousands of people with a YouTube channel mm-hmm. to a lead magnet that converts through a funnel that makes sales. Holy yeah. crap. I made $2,000 in the middle of watching a movie mm-hmm. at the movie theater from, with my wife on a Friday night. And that's common. What we hear from people, they wake, they get out of the movies and say, Oh, wow, I made a lot of money. I was in the mood. That's what we want to create a machine that sells for you. And that's how you do it. That's exactly right. Well, and it, I mean, it's so funny. I mean, I, I, one of my favorites is Jeff Walker, you know, oh, he's and great. you watch how masterful he is about his emails that go out. I mean, it's just, there's so many times I'll, I always open up his emails because I open them up because it's like, well, what's Jeff doing now? 
yeah, know, because yeah. it's always something about, well, yeah, I'm, you know, getting ready to, oh, I, I'm, we, you know, we had a really successful event. Now I'm going to go, you know, down the Colorado River for the next 28 days right, and right. not run my company and it'll be in the background. So, yep, yep. you know, I think if, if people can master those type of skills, have you all seen, you know, w- with you kind of working down that direct response path, have you all seen uh, email deliverability issues? I know I've heard, heard and experienced some of this in our own businesses. Not anything that is causing us to lose a substantial amount of money, no. Okay. Uh, if, if it has, it's been marginal declines. Like our click rates are a little bit lower than yeah. what they were before. Uh, there's some things that we're trying to do to overcome some of those things. And that's a lot of where the nurture comes into play. I think a lot of the direct response folks, that is happening to them because they're relying on one thing. Mm-hmm. Can I funnel people in? Can I get emails to get them to buy? Yeah. But when people are seeing your podcast, when they're seeing you on Instagram, when they're seeing you on the web, they are now seeing your emails or they're looking out for your emails because you've nurtured those relationships. So it's just a more holistic approach to keep those numbers up what they should be, but mm-hmm. not anything that's like, oh, this is you know a death sentence in terms of email. I think that email is still the number one place I would invest. Sure. In fact, yeah. I just saw a statistic that was saying uh, amongst all the things you can invest in marketing, you can expect a 3,800% to 4,400% return for every dollar you invest in your email list. That's yeah. bananas in pajamas. Why is nobody talking about that? And when we're talking about all these things that you can do marketing-wise, that should be first and foremost. Yeah. 3,800 to 4,400% return on every dollar you spend in, in your email list. That's well, bananas. I, you know, the funny thing, and, and this is the thing, you know, I, I talk to people about email lists all the time, and they're so focused on social media. And I'm like, why? once you get them, you own them. Yeah. You, you, they've given you permission to go into their email box. Right. And it costs you nothing. I mean, yeah. you know, negligible. Yeah, right. I have to pay for, you know, if I've got a huge list, I've got to pay for, you know, basically to use it. But yeah, it's, I mean, negligible amounts of money, you know, to, to get a damn good response. Yeah, and I, I think, I, I, so I think there's a, a layer of the conversation that I understand why people get a little bit distracted. Maybe not the right word. It's overwhelming is probably the right way to say it. Yeah. Um, because they hear people talk about all these like elaborate funnels and re-engagement sequences and ascension funnels and all these various things that we do, mm-hmm. but we didn't start doing that. Yeah. Right. Like I even tell people, look, if you're brand new to this, I want you to come up with one lead magnet. Mm-hmm. And that's based off of you surveying your audience and figuring out what they need and solving one quick problem for them and say, here it is. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a PDF that has answers five things for you. That's it. You can create a candle, take 10 minutes. Right. They download it, they go to your email list. Guess what? I, all you have to do is create one email. Hey, this is who I am. This is what you can expect from me. Done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then if you want to take, make it even more simplistic, treat it like a real lead for an offline business. And I think this is where my, I have a benefit of being coming from an offline business world, yes. right? My first business. Because if we got an email or, or a lead, rather, or email subscriber, we're getting on the phone because yeah. they're looking for a move or they're yeah. looking for an installation. We, we evolved in doing installation work as well. I'm calling them, yeah. right? And now we get the people joining our list, our email list. We're like, oh, I only have 200 subscribers. No, no, no. That's 200 leads. That's 200 people. I envision a room of 200 people that have indicated they want to know what you have to say. 200 people. Yeah. Most people, what do you need? Your core 1,000 to have a, to, 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 of raving super fans. Yeah. You're already a fifth of the way there with 200 people. But you got to start somewhere. And you can't right. just let people join your list and not send them anything. Mm-hmm. I have a, a cool story for you. I have a, a um, I don't do client work anymore. My last client, we just kind of phased out of that. But uh, earlier this year, I had, a, I had a client that I took on as a buddy of mine. So I want to help him out. Launching a, a, he owns a gym, launching a 
New Year's, New Year's campaign, right? Come to the gym, work out. That's, that's Super Bowl season for them, right? So, so we're, he's been running all these ads. He spends thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on ads, had not gotten a lot of success with doing so, right? I said, what's your email list? 850 people. I can't run it. When's the last time you emailed? I email about once a year. <laughs> once a year. Get this. We throw together what we call four-day fast cash email sequence, which nails all four different buyer types, right? So you've got your spontaneous, you've got your analytical, your human connection, and your scarcity buyers. Each one of those buyer types, and we, we just ran a promotion. I can break down the statistics. It's unbelievable how many people, this is another point. I'm getting, I'm getting off topic here. 52.3% of our buyers, of all of our buyer types are scarcity buyers. Okay. Now, most people, they send one email and they say, oh, no one bought. Oh, I don't want to send any more emails. If I had done that, I think, our, I, think I was at 12.8% of spontaneous buyers. I would have left 88% of buyers including the 52.3% of scarcity buyers if I had not sent those emails that spoke to them specifically. Right. Some people just will not buy unless they get a scarcity email, meaning a deadline, seats running out, prices going up, et cetera, right? So anyway, that's the context. So we ran one of those. Four days, he used one of my templates and he catered it to his needs. This dude added, he's got like a $200,000, $300,000 a year business. He added six figures to his top line revenue in four <laughs> days, running four emails. And he has not emailed his list more than once a year just by yes. seeing it to 850 people. That's how real that's for most people. That's a six figure business that changes their life. Yeah. Changes their life. Yeah. So how many I mean, people it's not like he was a million dollar business and he added 20 thou. like yeah. he added six figures to a low six figure business. Sure. That's a sizable piece of revenue for him. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it costs you, him nothing. how many people you talk to? Oh, I just, you know, I just can't seem to make my business get, you know, above six figures. Well, um, try and be creative. <laughs> about this stop going out there and you know just going to networking events and everything else get out yeah you know utilize your list even if you've got a small one there's gold in that you know you yeah. just gotta keep digging at it a little bit and i like that coming at it from four different approaches because not everybody's the same way you can't just write one email for one type of client yeah and most people do that unfortunately again i didn't mean to go down a rabbit hole with that but most people like if i'm a spontaneous buyer myself and this is where a lot of again the psychology of marketing was so important if I'm a spontaneous buyer, by and large, you're going to write spontaneous buyer emails because mm -hmm. it feels natural for you. Yeah. Right. So for me, I'm not, I'm not an analytical buyer. My father-in-law, I joke around, I call it the email, the Obed. My father's-in-law's name is Obed. I call the email, the Obed email. This yeah. email is like three pages long. I mean, I joke around and say, by the time he's ready to buy, he knows more than the salesperson about the product. Yeah. <laughs> and that's real. That's actually happened where he's bought yeah. something and the salesperson's like, I don't know, man. Like, yeah. just buy it stop, already. Stop asking know. questions of me. Just buy it already. But here's the deal. If you don't, if you don't have that in your marketing in some way, shape, or form, whether that's a follow-up email or whether it's built into your, your sales page or what have you, they're mm -hmm. not buying. No. Because that's who they are. They got to know the details because that gives them peace of mind to make a decision. Right. So it's so when you don't understand these concepts, when you don't understand the actual marketing psychology and the direct response principles, mm -hmm. that's when you start saying, well, my business isn't working. Yeah, no wonder, because you're following trends. You're not following proven principles. That's fantastic. What's, uh, what's new in your world now? Well, some things I cannot talk about at the moment <laughs> uh, because we have, a, we have a huge surprise coming up uh, that we're working on. So we, we recently, my business partner and I, whom is also my wife, we recently partnered back in November, because we're just like, this is crazy. We have such complimentary skills. We brought my brother-in-law in as our CTO. So we're working on some really fun things that involve software and hmm. other things that I really want to talk about, but I can't talk about it just yet. Right now. Uh, but make sure, make sure if, if people are interested in hearing what that is, make sure you follow and, and 
on me on social media because I'll be talking about it when I can. It's I'm terrible at keeping secrets, so it's hard for me to not even talk about this. <laughs> but but I think the biggest thing that we're working on now is how do we start bringing what has worked for online? Mm -hmm. I, I it's funny. Jeff, I go from, uh, I, I went from, you know, brick and mortar, small yeah. business, right? Scaled it, but still small business environment, right? Mm -hmm. Offline, small business, brick and mortar, you know, started my, started an online business, which awesome. So many awesome benefits there played in the tech space. I was a, a mentor for, for founder Institute and just some other mm -hmm. things, EIR and stuff like that, you know, for yes. them. So I've played in these different verticals within self-employment, right. And within entrepreneurship. If I went to any one of those, if I went from one room to the next, to the next, and I listened into their conversations, it would be like they don't even do the same things. It would be like they're literally aliens from another planet. They don't have the same conversations. So what we what we had come to find was a lot of brick and mortar small business owners. They don't know jack diddly about some of this enhanced, sophisticated marketing that we're talking about. They don't know what ascension funnel is. They don't know what retargeting is. They don't know what any of this stuff. They know how to boost a post. That's about it on Facebook, and that's killing them because there's a lot of really awesome business models, really successful businesses people have built that have franchise potential. Yeah. And right now they're relegated to being a small local business because they just don't know how they're a business of one. They don't know how to become a business of many. And a lot of that is their marketing. A lot of that is, I, I don't know how to penetrate a new market. Yeah. There's some other things involved with that, obviously, you know, creating systems and processes and hiring protocols and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Right. Then in the online space, you have people that are pajama jobs, right? They're just comfortable with working from their bed and making a comfortable salary. And that's mm -hmm. what it is. But we need those people ascending, creating new technologies, there's a lot of people that can create software based on what they teach and preach that they could create awesome MRR for themselves. Like ascending and transcending the online space is something they could absolutely do and they're not doing that. Yeah. And then the tech space, God love them. The name of the game is raise money or die. Yeah. And the failure rate is astronomical. Yeah. So they need to be doing the same hustle work that the small business owners are doing in the brick and mortar space because those people are earning their pay every single day. They're out, doing, they're out in the trenches doing what they need to do. They're not begging for money. They're building businesses. Yeah. I, when some of these, when I was a mentor at EIR for some of these programs, I'm like, what, why are you spending six months to perfect your pitch? By the time you perfect this pitch, I would have made six figures already. That's crazy. At the very least, build your email list to 1,000 people or, or 5,000 people with potential interested people. Then go take that to a VC. Mm. Hey, I've got 5,000 people that have pre-ordered this. Yeah. Oh, wow. Go, go build some, some, I call it little 10. Go build some collaboration partners. You're a little 10. People that are in, a, in the similar space as you, ancillary partners that already have a built-in audience. The moving company, perfect example. What was the first thing I said? We didn't you know, go knocking door to door on people's mm. doors in that part. We went to the lease office because why? They have trust with their community, with mm. their building. It's their building owners. What do we do next? We're pitching our, our classmates. Why? Because the school has student body. We don't have 35,000 people. University of Georgia does. Will you help us market that? Other apartments, same thing. Like literally we had to do no sophisticated marketing whatsoever other than just collaboration partners. I went to a real estate office. I, they said, no, there's like a hundred realtors that operated that office. This is for the moving company. So I came back, uh, I called, I, they, they were like two doors down from my office. So I called Dunkin' Donuts or Krispy Kreme or something. And I said, hey, next Thursday, can you deliver a ton of donuts? It cost me like 50 bucks, a ton of yeah. donuts and a ton of coffee to this office. There's a hundred realtors there. Guess what? Within a week, I had a meeting with the CEO of the company, <laughs> president CEO of the real, why? Why? Because I nurtured the relationship. That gave me 100 potential realtors that are out actively working every day. Guess what? When somebody buys a house or somebody sells a house, what are they doing? Moving. Yeah. That's yeah. an audience I don't have, right? And, and they are the ones who already own that audience. That, yeah. They're doing all the work to get those people. All you have to do is slide in their side. But in the, but in the tech space, 
it's all about the name of the game is did I raise money? Well, I don't care if you have money. You're still an idiot. You still don't know what you're doing. You're just an idiot with money now. And I don't say that. I say it nicely. No, but, but a I mean, lot of them, they have no idea how to actually build a business. They have yeah. no idea how to market a product or service. They've never sold anything. And yet they're going to these people, these wealthy individuals or these, you know, these VC firms and asking for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Hello, that, that business model is completely dying. Yeah. In my, oh, in my opinion, if I had a great idea. You just have to give me, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Uh, well, there's lots of people with great ideas. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. You know, ideas are nothing. And I think that's built on a 20 year old model, the dot-com era, the boom in the dot-com era. It was, everybody was trying to catch the next big thing. So they were writing blank checks for nothing. We're mm -hmm. still pitching based like we're living in to be early two thousands that, that day and that day and age is over. Yeah. Right. It's never been easier to market or sell your product than it is today. It's just, we're, we're just operating in a very antiquated model. So, so what we're working on to get to the core, you know, kind of, you know, root of your question here is how do we start bringing in other people into teaching them the things that we have learned about building a business in multiple different verticals? And how do we start having cross-pollination regardless of what type of industry you're in? Uh, why are the brick and mortars not having more sophisticated marketing conversations? Why aren't the online business owners taking themselves as seriously as the tech businesses? Because to be fair, the tech startups, they dream big and they take big chances. Correct. The small business owners don't and the online business owners don't. So how do we kind of bring those together, make an amalgamation and have conversations that kind of we all benefit from each other in our own individual walks? That's fantastic. Absolutely amazing. All right. Well, are you ready for the fast five questions? Let's do it. All right. So first one. You wake up in the morning, business is gone. You have 500 bucks in your pocket, laptop, place to live, food and clothing. What do you do first? I, got five, I only have 500 bucks, huh? Yeah. I think the first thing that I would do is I would walk around and try to find the next problem that I want to solve in the world, a problem that I actually care about solving, right? That'd be the first thing. I would spend an ample amount of time figuring out, okay, what's the next problem I want to solve? Too many people, uh, they build a, they build a, a, life around their business, not a business around their life. It has to be something that I care about. It has to be something that I can build. I can have the life that I want with this business because otherwise you're just a prisoner to the thing you've created. You don't want to create that. The next thing I would do is I would have at least 10 in-depth conversations. Now that I've identified the problem that I want to solve, I want to talk to at least 10 people in depth about, is this a viable problem for you? Or is this a rampant problem for you? Is this a problem you experience in your life? Right now, you're not guiding the, the, the conversation to your solution. You're just asking them, is this a problem you experience? What are some of the things that you've tried and, and not enjoyed? Or finding out why it doesn't exist to begin with, right? Because there might be a reason it's not. Some people see no competition, think it's a good thing. It's actually a bad thing because yes. trust me, it's 2022. Every single idea has been thought of by now. So if there's something that doesn't exist already, there's a reason for it. Mm -hmm. Now, when there is competition, then what I'm going to do is, now I've had my conversation. So I've identified problem that I want to solve. I've had those conversations about potential viability. Those conversations need to be with actual prospective customers. It can't be mom, dad, brother, cousin, sister. It can't be. Unless, those, unless that's your market, that's not the people you want to talk to. You want to talk to potential real customers that you're trying to help solve this problem. Next, what I'm going to do is, now that I've identified the market problem, people, et cetera, I'm going to look at other people that are already doing what I'm trying to do. Why? Because success leaves breadcrumbs. If I see that somebody is you know, running, and I do this all the time. I'll go hack, I'll go funnel hack somebody, I'll go to their ads, and I won't say who specifically, because I don't want to call them out. But I have people that I my big 10, I talk about little 10 collaboration partners, my big 10 are big brands that I'm trying to emulate from notice they didn't say duplicate or replicate emulate inspiration. I'm looking at what they're doing, what kind of ads are they running, the Facebook ad library allows you to see what they're running, what kind of copy, what's the lead magnet they're running, are they running a lead magnet, are they going direct to webinar, are they going direct to sale, what are they doing, right, what platforms are they on, maybe they're on Twitter, why? 
Maybe they're on really focused on Instagram. Okay, that's maybe where I want to be. Maybe they're really focused on their blog, their podcast, et cetera. Like I'm going to cut so much time and effort out of this whole trajectory of starting my own business just by seeing what's been going on and having conversations. Because then the last thing is this. Once I analyze my competition, I've talked to these people. I know what the problem is. Now I figure out where I fit in the market. What's the blue ocean? Who's being underserved? Because here's the deal. Not one business, even Apple, can provide something for the entire world. Mm. Apple's done the best probably of anybody. They've got 50% of the market. But there's still a lot of people that aren't happy with Apple. And that's a huge market, right? Mm. What is it about Apple's product specifically that people don't like, if that were your market, that yeah. I can go target in and figure out? Maybe it's privacy. Maybe it's, maybe it's who knows what it is. That's what you're going to find out. Then what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to use that language, the language from the copy or the, the conversations that I had in my copy. I'm going to really position it. And I'm going to be in that niche, what I found to be the next opportunity in that market. And then mm -hmm. I'm going to go nuts. I'm going to collaborate with people. I'm going to make sure I get that out there. I'm going to build my email list. I'm going to do all the things that I normally do. But that's what I would do. That's awesome. That's a fantastic answer. And very thorough, by the way. Uh, all right. What is the biggest mistake you've made in business? Pick one. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the first one that comes to mind uh, rather than, because there's, a, I mean, that's an endless list, unfortunately. And I say that, and I say that uh, to just let people know it's, you're going to fail way more than you succeed oh, as an wow. entrepreneur. Yeah. That's just real. Oh. But I would say the biggest mistake that I, that I made was this. Your business is not, is not an extension of you. It's, it's a more mature entrepreneurs know that they're commodities that can be bought, sold, traded, et cetera. It doesn't define you. It doesn't mean that that's who you are. It doesn't mean that you place your worth or your value in that business. It just means it's like when you leave a job and you go to a different job, you don't reflect back and be like, oh, God, I'm not that person. No, you're just excited about the new opportunity. Sure. Um, so, I, you know, towards, towards the, the, the latter parts of the moving company, I was really burned out and done with that business. It was just very tolling and taxing for a 26, 27-year-old. And it, I was just... I was way out of my league with this. I mean, we're dealing with customs and businesses in China and ah. I mean, 30, I had 700 employees in 32 States. I mean, it was just, I'm 26, 27, you know? So I, I was just, I, I was ready to move on from that season and I held on too long, mm -hmm. right? I held on too long and I, and I, and that, and I got really limited in my thinking. I got really cynical about people because like I had employees doing things that they weren't supervised because we're growing so fast and this mm -hmm. and that. Um, so I, I think having good read on yourself, uh, if you know, you want growth, and you know that that's the thing you're trying to accommodate, make sure you put the resources around yourself. Don't yeah. feel like you've got to do it all yourself. Don't feel like you've got to put everything on your own back. If you want to build a comfortable lifestyle business, then sure, like you can play it slow and steady growth. But you just understand the game you're trying to play and make sure that if it does feel like it's time to move on, don't feel like you're shackled to anything. You're not married to any business in particular. Make sure you just give yourself the freedom to be able to say, you know what, it had a good run. I'm ready to do something else. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it and I think, you know, a little bit of that beginning of it that you talked about too, the business isn't you, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you've got to, you've got to develop your identity outside of the business. Cause I mean, there's way too many entrepreneurs that I've worked with and I do a lot of exit strategy planning, yeah. you know, they, they leave the business and then it's like, oh my God, I, I am I identity anymore. Well, that's yeah, where I was. You, you always did. <laughs> yeah, that's where I was. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who the hell I was for like two years because yeah. I, my whole identity was wrapped up because of what it requires. Entrepreneurship requires extremes. It requires you to be all in. I've never seen anybody dip a toe in the pool and succeed at this game. I just nice. haven't. You got to be all in. You got to dive head first into the pool. You have to. So the problem is when you do that, there are trade-offs and it's like what you talked about. It's, it's now 
it becomes literally an embodiment of who you are. So you got to be really right. careful to have the appropriate guardrails in place so that you don't lose yourself in that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the other part of it is too, if you, if you can't, if you cannot extract yourself from that business and the business still exists. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's not a business. It's not, it's not really a business at that it's point. Not. You own nope. a job. Yep. Even if you have employees that work for you, you still own a job. hundred percent. Yeah. What's a good book you recommend? My favorite is the one thing by Gary Keller. He's actually an Austin guy. He's here with us in Austin. Yes. But, but one of the biggest challenges that I had was uh, was really breaking the habit of I call it divorcing your taskmaster. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have been conditioned our entire lives, Jeff, from you know grade school all the way through college into jobs. It's like here's the things that you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Know it, do it by this day. Know it by this before this test. Get the project done by this and that. Right. And so we, we create our list, we check it twice, we make sure we do the things that we're supposed to execute on. Then you get to entrepreneurship and you try to do that. And the problem is, is that list never ends. No. To start, it never ends. Then your business starts growing. Well, guess what? The list becomes more dynamic. It never stops growing. And, and you, you, you end up in burnout. You're trying to do all the things. And you're doing things that don't matter. You're not doing the things like focusing on your email list because of the rate of return of growing your email list, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what the one thing's going to help you do is figure out what's the most important thing right now. It doesn't mean you're saying no to other things forever. It just means that right now, this is the focus so that I get to six figures, so that I can hire my tools, so that I can hire a virtual assistant, so that I can hire a salaried employee, so that I can this and this. And then you, you, know, you kind of grow that way. But letting, letting chaos exist in certain areas of your, of your business, excuse me, um, in certain areas of your business, because right now you're focused on one to three things, this blew my mind, Jeff. When I, when I started learning that the most successful people in the world have four major initiatives a year, not a week a year, one major initiative, a quarter, it, it changed the whole game for me because yeah. I'm like, dude, I try to do like 12 things a day, like bit major initiatives. Like I'm killing myself with this. They do, they have four things and they figure out that they're the most important four things. They're going to grow the business the most so they can do X, Y, and Z, whatever that is. And then they just nail those things each quarter. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God. So, so starting with the one thing is super, super important. Then you get into like 12 week year with Brian Moran. There's some other things you can do, but I would say start with the one thing. It is the operating system for entrepreneurs. I really believe that. Awesome. That is awesome, man. I love the book too. I agree. I've actually seen Gary speak too. And I mean, oh, I bet it's awesome. He just, yeah, he's, he's an amazing dude. And I mean, you, you wonder why Keller Williams has grown as big as it has. I mean, it's yeah, just, yeah. yeah, it's just from executing consistently. Yeah. What's a tool that you use in your business? I always give an example, like an Evernote. Uh, what's the tool that you use in your business? I would say the first one is going to be ConvertKit. I check my ConvertKit every single day. How many email subscribers did I add? How are my email sequences, my automations doing? What's my conversion rates? What are they looking like? What are my click? What are my open rates? I mean, it's just the money's in the email list. Um, and so that's where I, that, that would be, make sure you get one that fits you. I'm not saying ConvertKit has to be you. I just had a, uh, the CEO of Keep. He actually came back to the business. He used to be in, it used to be in Fusionsoft. I didn't tell him this, Jeff, but I was going to. Yeah. Uh, he would have really taken it the wrong way probably. But we used to joke and call it confusion sauce. Oh, I, I always did too. Yeah. Yeah. So they cre- so they created Keep, which yes. is now they've rebranded to Keep because they wanted to simplify it. But they've done some really cool things with yes. it. And now there's like text integration, all these various things that you can do that you couldn't do before, or you could. It was just confusing. Yeah. So I almost told them that we used to call it confusion sauce. But I was like, nah, I would be really piss if somebody told me that. No, um, but they realized it too. I mean, because yeah, I've yeah. said that I, I'm a Keep certified partner and cool. I said that I've said that before at, at events because I'm like yeah I used to call it confusion soft and and they won me back over because yeah I mean, it was so incredibly complicated that nobody could handle it you know and the problem is it was created for certified partners so that they yeah. basically had 
you know, whoever their clients were, were beholden to them forever. And, you know, the, the reality is I don't want my clients beholden to me. Yeah, frankly. true. You know, I True. want to teach you how to use it. I want to help you build it. And then you go off and be fruitful um, and then call me if you need help. But yep. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it is you, you can't, you can't grow if you have that. So yeah, it's, it's it before I think it's, you know, each of them has their own unique little issues. Yeah. Agreed. I, I think that the whole adage of uh, what does it go? Your focus goes, your energy flows. I think that's yeah. how it goes. Um, focusing on the right numbers will protect you. We talked about earlier getting distracted with, you know, everybody's doing reels now. Everybody's like, oh, TikTok's the next big thing. Well, eventually, here's the problem with social media and social media platforms. They, they incentivize you to start doing things. So they create the algorithm to do that. Like right now it's reels because they want adoption. Why? Because they want users on the platform. Then what happens? When they hit critical mass and they don't need you anymore, yeah. then they change the algorithm, right? And they don't incentivize you to do things anymore because now it's crowded and all the various things. and plenty of people. So it becomes a pay to play space. It's happened with every single social media platform. So you're going to keep chasing and chasing and chasing and, and people do that. And they get really caught up in all that chasing stuff, the shiny bells and whistles. If you every day make a point, check your analytics, right? Mm -hmm. Check your email list. And if you want a pro tip for all of your sales and marketing assets, like your sales pages, your squeeze page, your landing page, et cetera, check Hotjar. I watch Hotjar recordings every single day, five to 10 minutes of Hotjar recordings. Hotjar is a tool that literally allows you to watch sessions on your website. So I can look and see heat maps and all these various things. So I can see how people are engaging with my sales assets. In fact, a lot of people don't treat their homepage like a sales page, and you absolutely should. You should look at your homepage and be like, am I converting new email subscribers from my homepage? How are people yeah. interacting on that, right? It shouldn't just be eye candy. It's there for a reason. How are people mm -hmm. engaging with it? So I would say ConvertKit or any email marketing tool, mm -hmm. analytics, that's going to keep you right. Those are your guardrails. And then pro tip would be Hotjar. How are people engaging on your site? That's fantastic. Uh, I, I remembered hot jar, but I hadn't even thought about it in a while. So that's fantastic. Great one. Uh, somebody wants to get in contact with you. What's the best way? Yeah. So Hey CMH on all social media is a great place to do that. Obviously, uh, you know, I'm on, I have YouTube, I have my own podcast, the startup view podcast is a great way to do that. We're actually kind of shifting gears a little bit. I've had more of a guesting thing. It's going to be more one-on-one -on -one or uh, solo shows now going forward, but I would say the best way, if you want to hear more stuff like this, like we talked about today, would be mm -hmm. the Startup U podcast. It's Startup U, like one word, Startup U, like university, mm -hmm. uh, with Chris Michael Harris. That's me. Okay. And then I do have a quick ask of your audience, if you don't mind. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I do this anytime anybody is, is gracious enough to let me come on their show uh, and share, share my, my knowledge and wisdom. Uh, I like to ask them to consider doing two things. Subscribe and leave a review. And I'm going to tell you why. It takes you 20 seconds, I promise. You can literally shout at me on the internet if, you're, if I'm wrong. It takes more than that. Uh, so you guys don't see the work that Jeff puts into doing what he's doing today, the research that he has to do. He has to pay people to edit. He has to make sure that, you know, there's a blog created and then publish that. There's a lot of work so he can provide value to you as an aspiring business owner or whatever walk of life that you're in. So if you could do those two things, it's like leaving a, a tip for your waiter or your waitress, subscribe mm -hmm. to his podcast and leave him a quick review. You don't have to say anything, just hit five stars if you feel like you earned it. And that would be it. Brilliant. I, I couldn't say any more, man. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Hey, I enjoyed Chris, it. Thank you so much. Um, really looking forward to getting to know you better. And since we live like 10 minutes apart, we can right. actually um, got to get taco. We got to get tacos or something, man. We have, I know that's the, the true spirit of Austin. The beauty of Austin is tacos. So yeah. So thanks a lot for being on the show. I appreciate it. Fantastic information. Really look forward to, uh, to sharing this with our audience and we will see everybody back here uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks buddy. 
Thank you for listening to the Freedom Nation podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and all the major channels. Wherever you're listening, please subscribe to the channel and leave a rating and review. If you have friends and family that could benefit from their own Freedom Day, please share with them. Finally, join Freedom Nation by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 